Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the final edition of week number two of our Believe in Blazers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Brian Wheeler, pleased to be joined by an old friend now, the television voice of the Memphis Grizzlies for 17 seasons now. Gosh, he doesn't look old enough to be uh, on the job for 17 seasons, but he is a marvel each and every night on Grizzlies television. And the Grizzlies and Blazers will be seeing a lot of each other over the next uh, week with three meetings to come, two tonight and Sunday at Moda Center, and then back in Memphis uh, early next week. So uh, we welcome back into the fold a familiar face and voice to many in the Portland area, Pete Pranica. Pete, how are you, sir? I am good, Wheels. Thanks for having me on. Good to reconnect with everybody in the Pacific Northwest. I'm just sorry that we're not traveling this year because uh, – I'd love to make some of my uh, some of my stops, maybe at uh, maybe at Jake's famous crawfish or Moonstruck <laughs> Chocolate or who knows where I might show up next. Well, those are those are those are uh, obviously great uh, landmarks that I'm sure would be love love to welcome you back when the time is right. Uh, let's let's talk about that first of all. What the challenge has been from a broadcaster standpoint. Uh, each broadcaster I've talked to so far, I've kind of been uh, curious to get their thoughts on on what it has been like in this uh, in this virus age to try to uh, still cover NBA basketball with the expertise that uh, you always have. Uh, what have been the particular challenges that you've encountered and, and hopefully to this point, maybe at least gotten used to, even if, uh, even if it necessarily hasn't been a perfect arrangement. Well, the biggest challenge has been we don't have the connection with the players and coaches that we normally would. We've been very fortunate here in Memphis that the coaching staff embraces us, talks to us. They can trust us. They know that if they tell us sensitive, give us sensitive information, they know that it's on background. It's not going to make its way on the air. And the players are the same way. And so we've always had a real good rapport with players and coaches here in Memphis. And that's what's really been lost. Uh, Desmond Bain, our rookie, uh, we've not met him. Uh, Xavier Tillman, we've not met him. We have some new coaches. We've not met them. Hmm. Um, we've had a chance. I, I text back and forth with Brad Jones, who's, who's one of the assistants and, and we've gotten to know each other pretty well. And so I can get information from him, but you're not there on a daily basis. And, you know, sometimes the interaction you may have with a player, just running into them in the hotel lobby, uh, you know, might give you some information that, is, is useful in background just to have in the back of your mind, not that you're trying to, uh, you know, go 60 minutes and, and say something out of school, but a uh, perfect example is one of our players last year, we ran into in an elevator and we just said, Hey, how are you doing? And he said, man, I'm really battling a bad cold. I just don't feel real well. Well, now we're not going to go on the air and we're, and we're going to say, well, you know, player X is, it has a cold tonight, but if that player has a poor game, we at least in the back of our minds, know maybe that's the reason. And so maybe you might not be as critical or at least to your mind, not be as worried about, you know, what's going on or, or why they're playing poorly, or you might actually know the reason. I think that's, that's the biggest thing of all. The other thing too is, and I talked to Mike Breen about this and Mike said, I never realized how much I looked off the ball until this year because Mike Breen for ESPN and, and, and for the Knicks, he's, he's working off a monitor and road games are, are sure. remote and yeah. ESPN games are remote. So you, you can't, look away from the ball because you are tied to whatever shot the director puts on the screen. The other piece of it too, is over the years I've, I've, I've gotten to know a lot of our referees and if I, you know, get their attention and I can, not that I'm questioning their call, but I may ask them for an interpretation or some of them are good enough. And I know well enough that they will just come over to me unbidden and say, Hey, we're looking at this, or this is why that happened in case you were wondering. And those are the things that you really miss. And the other part that you miss 
look, all of us in this business, we know each other. You know, Mark Followill in Dallas or Joel Myers in New Orleans or Mike Breen in New York or Ian Eagle in Brooklyn. We all know each other. We're all friends. And that was one of the things that was always the most enjoyable part of the job was you could go and you could see your friends. It was like reunion every night. And the other thing, too, is you get to the building two hours early and you have time that, look, there are other coaches that I have known from my days in Portland and in Memphis who have gone on to other teams. You can get information from them, again, on background about a certain player that they really like or certain players' work habits or whatever. And you can get the same information from your, from your broadcast uh, colleagues that you have known for a number of years. So it's that personal connection that you really miss. And I, I love to travel and I love to go to places. I love to go to El Gaucho. <laughs> you know, who sure, doesn't love sure. to go to El Gaucho in Portland? So <laughs> those are the things that, that you really, really miss. And working off a monitor – we can be good, but we can't be as good as we can be if we're in the building. You know, uh, they say that life in, in many ways is cyclical. And I guess in this sense, uh, it kind of is, uh, you know, we all go back to our uh, days as a kid when uh, we turned down the sound on TV and uh, called a make-believe game. Well, here you are back uh, working off of a monitor calling a game again. It's just, it's really, it's really odd. It's not, it's not a welcome uh, uh, kind of cycle back to the way things were, but, uh, but, but you kind of remember what things were like as a kid. And it's the particular challenge of, of doing that. So for those who don't know, you're at the arena for the home games, uh, but distanced uh, from the court uh, from where your normal location would be. But in the road games, you're in the very same spot, correct? Right. Our, our connectivity at FedEx form just makes all the sense in the world because we, we have all the cabling right there. Uh, we would not be allowed down on court side for home games. And so why would you move your setup back and forth? So we just have a permanent location set up with plexiglass cubes, at the top of the lower bowl, which heretofore had been the, the radio position, and the radio position has been moved to a suite elsewhere in the building. So, uh, yeah, when tonight's going to be, for example, when we play the Blazers or any of these games on the West Coast, game starts at 9 o'clock Central Time. So we walk into an empty arena, and we're doing a game until close to midnight, and there's nobody there except me, Brevin, and Rob Fisher, our sideline reporter, our audio guy, our stage manager, and our stats guy. And you're here in this 19,000-seat arena – and there are like 10 people in it. And it's, it's a very, very strange situation. So the Grizzlies, uh, as we uh, begin play tonight for uh, this uh, weekend series in Portland between the uh, Grizz and the Blazers, coming in as the eighth seed in the Western Conference, sitting at 29 and uh, 28. Some very, uh, some very impressive victories to this point in time. But as we discussed before we started taping, also some nights when you're kind of reminded that this is still a young team trying to figure out how to win some, some evenings. Yeah, they're, this is the third youngest team by average age, and it's the only team at last check with our statistical folks. It's the only team in the league that, that does not have anybody older than 28. <laughs> to give you an example of just how incredibly young this team is, and one of the old guys is Jonas Valanciunas and will definitely not play on Friday night and not sure if we'll play on Sunday afternoon because he sustained a concussion in the second game of the road trip in Milwaukee, caught a Pat Connaughton backhand upside the head. So uh, th this roster becomes even younger. And the Grizzlies are just really, really struggling in clutch games. They're struggling in one-possession games, whereas Portland has been one of the best clutch teams and best one-possession uh, game teams uh, in the NBA this year. So if it comes down to be a close game, Portland certainly has an edge based on uh, prior performance this year. Every team needs a point guard to build around, and the Grizz certainly have that uh... John Morant uh, has to be a fun guy to watch every night. He's a fun guy. The, the thing that is daunting about calling his games is that any possession could be a highlight. 
you know, for most of us in the business, your, your, your big highlights are going to come on breakaway dunks or they might come on buzzer beating shots. When he tried that dunk over Kevin Love, I mean, it's the middle of the game. And he starts driving down the lane and you don't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden he's trying to jump over Kevin Love and dunk. Um, so his, his highlights can come at any moment. So you have to be hyper aware that anytime the ball is in his hand, something special could really happen. He has an incredible knowledge of the game. He has an incredible visual recall of individual plays and players and, and their movements in individual sets. Great leader, plays with a chip on his shoulder because he was lightly recruited. Ended up, of course, playing, as everybody knows, at Murray State. And he has a magnetic-type personality where players want to play with him. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. You want to play with John Moran because he's a lot of fun, very high basketball IQ, and, and a great teammate. And he provides for us wheels the one thing that Memphis has I don't think they've ever had, and that is a true alpha. I mean, one guy who says, look, this is my team, and if I need to put you on my shoulders, I can do that. And, you know, you, you were, you've been around the NBA long enough to know that if you don't have an alpha dog, if you don't have the one guy that in the clutch can deliver, yeah, your life's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot harder winning a championship. Grizzly certainly uh, very happy with the news this week, uh, the return of Jaron Jackson, who uh, was somebody that was a big contributor to last year's squad and uh, – uh, coming back from a serious injury, but uh, now back in the fold again. Is he under any limitations uh, minutes-wise? I would imagine, Wheels, the, the we have a good, like I said, we have a good relationship with our coaching staff, but there are some things they do keep under wraps. <laughs> right, right, right. And, I, and, um, and we did talk to Taylor Jenkins before before the last game and, and asked him, and they're like, well, we'll be smart with his minutes. <laughs> you know, so, so what, what, what is that? I don't know. So just tracking it based on how he played in the last game, I would imagine he's probably around, you know, 18 to 20, 22 minutes max, depending. But uh, his rehab and his return to play took longer than the fans would have liked. But the reason for that is he has come back and he has been really ready to play. I would have expected more rust in the Clipper game than I saw. And I think that they said, you know, you can put a player back on the court because physically he is able to play, but is he really ready to play? Is it just that the knee doesn't hurt anymore? No, they really got him ready that he can be productive from the jump. It'll be interesting to see when Taylor Jenkins puts him in the starting lineup. He came off the bench against the Clippers. Uh, I don't know if he'll start uh, tonight against Portland or if he'll start Sunday afternoon against Portland, but eventually he will be in the starting lineup. And a return to the Northwest for the next uh, couple of games uh, for Dylan Brooks. I always loved him in college playing for the Ducks, and he seems to be the, the type of tough guy that uh, every team needs to, especially a young team, uh, needs to be successful. Somebody that uh, just, uh, you know, is, is willing to take on the best uh, perimeter player on the other team and also is not afraid of big moments where maybe he wants to take a shot that potentially could dictate uh, a team's win or a loss. Yeah, he's totally unafraid of the big moment, and, and he plays with such an edge. And it's been the job of the Grizzlies coaching staff to – take all the energy and all that edginess that he has and make sure that it is applied in the proper way. Sometimes he, you know, he'll take a frustration foul and like, don't take a frustration foul because you may need that foul later in the game. Uh, if you're going to take a foul, take it for a reason, take it because you're, you know, you're trying to stop a, a basket uh, or try to stop a fast break. Don't take a foul just because you're mad that you missed a shot. Um, and 
what the Grizzlies staff has worked with a lot, Wheels, is, is they have said, we want you to be a more disciplined scorer. We don't want you to chuck 30 shots a game so you can get 20 points. We would rather that you shoot, you know, 20 times and, and, and get 30 points. Um, find your spots. Know where your sweet spot is. And part of his edginess is the fact that he shoots much better on the road than he does at home, which, you know, in this, in this COVID era, uh, road teams are winning more than they ever have in, in league history, but still uh, he loves going on the road. He loves the competition and he studies video tremendously. And he wants the assignment of guarding the other team's best player. Spending this believe in blazers podcast with uh, our old friend, the TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies. That would be Pete Pranica. If the season ended today, the Grizz would be part of the play-in situation for the NBA, something that we saw in the bubble. Uh, it wasn't known immediately if that would be adopted as uh, part of the uh, play for this particular uh, abbreviated NBA season, at least in terms of the regular year. Do you like the play-in situation? Do you think it deserves uh, consideration maybe for, uh, for long-term uh, application in the NBA, or should it go back uh, to where it came from once we get back to an 82-game regular season? I understand why it's being done. You needed to make up some inventory. You were only going to play 72 regular season games this year. And so you can, you know, the national networks can pick up a couple more games. National networks pick up the play in games. Local telecasters don't pick up the play in games. So it puts me out of work. That's not fair. (laughs) No, it's not. But, you know, such is such is life. Um, I understand why you're doing it this year, because, like I said, you are going to involve more teams in a win or go home situation. You were also involving four more fan bases and maybe even more fan bases for the teams that are in 11th or 12th and trying to get into the top 10. So I think they're trying to generate more interest in the stretch run, which is good. Uh, you know, given, given where we are in this world to in, involve more people to be more concerned about NBA basketball. But at the same time, I'm like, do we, do we really, do we really need it? If you're going to play 82 top eight, get in everybody else goes to the lottery. I'm fine with that. I, so I understand why you're doing it this year because everything is just so incredibly, as they say here in Memphis, cattywampus. Um, but long-term, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. Let's just go back to the top eight. After you play 82, that's enough. We'll, we'll take the top eight and let's go. And I can still remember when it wasn't that long ago when people thought uh, eight teams in each conference making the playoffs was too many. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so obviously those those folks you know are not on the side of the side of this. But I agree with you. I can see why it was done, and it does add some extra interest to uh, the latter part of the season. Uh, that's for sure. So uh, you know you've been being in Portland, being in Memphis. Uh, we know those would be considered two of the quote unquote smaller markets in the NBA. Now that you've been in two different places uh, that are similar in that respect, do you believe that a quote-unquote, smaller market team has all that it needs competitively uh, to to win a championship in today's NBA? I do with an asterisk. I will say yes, because the late Paul Allen clearly invested heavily in the Blazers. There, there was no doubt about that. Robert Perra has invested heavily in the Grizzlies. So if you are in a small market and you have an owner who is willing to invest cold, hard cash in the success of the team – the answer is yes. The asterisk is, and this is maybe a little bit more for Memphis than it is for Portland. Portland is in the Pacific Northwest. There are a ton of things that I love about the Pacific Northwest and a lot of good reasons why living in the Pacific Northwest is great. Memphis does not have the sterling reputation maybe that that Portland does or the Pacific Northwest does. Uh, it's, it's a little rough around the edges. 
it is it is a it is a small city and is that going to attract a, a major free agent you can attract i think a major free agent to memphis more from you've really got to sell them on franchise sell them on the facilities sell them on robert perez the investment in in the franchise and the other thing too is will john morant being the hopefully generational star the grizzlies have been seeking forever uh that he may be the reason why a free agent would want to come to memphis uh because ultimately if you're going to win a title, you're going to have to get a stud free agent to come and play for you, or you're going to have to be in the lottery for a number of years and get several lottery picks to all hit at the, at, at, at the correct time. And so I, I think failing that you need to be able to sign a, a big name free agent. The Grizzlies have done a good job of retaining free agents. Uh, you know, the one major free agent they did sign was Chandler Parsons. Clearly that did not work out, but it will be interesting to see wheels when, there is another highly prized free agent. Can Memphis go and compete monetarily? They can compete. They'll put the money on the table. But the question is, does the player want to come to Memphis? Do they believe that the team has enough to contend for a title? And do they want to play with John Moran? Now, the answer to that is going to be yes. And so I think that, uh, that John Moran and, and, and Jaron Jackson Jr., they may be the bigger impetus for a free agent to come to Memphis. It's hard to gauge in a season like this, of course, but where would you describe fan support uh, for the Grizzlies locally? And uh, where would you describe media uh, coverage of the team? And does it rank with, uh, with what you would hope a team would get being the only professional game in town? It's funny because I was talking with some of the reporters and some said, you know, it's, it's just as easy to watch the game at home and then write the game story from the telecast. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so they're starting to like this. <laughs> they're, they're starting to like it. You know, hey, we don't have to travel. I mean, you know, look, look for, for broadcasters like us. I mean, we traveled on the team plane. It's easy, you know, for, for the beat writers, you know, they're, they're flying commercial and renting cars and, and, and their lives become very, very difficult. Uh, the media coverage has been pretty scaled back, I think a little bit simply because you don't have the access. Uh, you know, Zoom calls can only do so much. And again, sometimes beat writers might become friendly with a particular player and a story angle can evolve from a, hey, how you doing conversation, which obviously you don't have anymore. And so you, you can't, you just can't cover the teams the same way. It, it's just not possible. I, I always tell people, it's like telling Edward R. Murrow, you can cover the London Blints from Edinburgh. <laughs> and that makes no sense. You know, and that, that's really what, what's, what's happening here. As far as fan support, uh, there is, I mean, the support is there. People do want to come to the games. And, and, and right now in Memphis, we're allowing, I think, 2,000, 2,500 people into the building. Uh, and more as more and more people get inoculated. So, um, I mean, the fan interest has been there. I think now it's going to peak because Jaron is back. And for the longest time, fans were like, when's he coming back? When's he coming back? When's he coming back? Uh, and I think that the interest is going to be there, but it's hard to perceive that because you go into the building for a home game and there are 2,500 people there. And I mean, you know what it's like to be in a, in a, in a full NBA arena and it's playoffs and the building is full and people are waving rally towels and they're screaming and stamping their feet and the music is loud and the lights are bright it's hard to get that same feel uh, in, in, in this pandemic era of the NBA. Let's get your thoughts on some NBA things. Uh, Team-wise, in the Western Conference, Utah and Phoenix have pretty much been 
uh, one and two for uh, just about uh, all season long. Uh, the Clippers, Lakers uh, thought of as threats. Denver maybe not as much with uh, the injury to Jamal Murray, but obviously still have an MVP candidate and Nikola Jokic. But uh, where do you see Utah and Phoenix? We know that they have uh, they have been able to label themselves strongly as legitimate playoff contenders. Are they legitimate title contenders in your eyes? I would, I would say I would give Utah the edge, and not just because they're the number one seed, but you have players there in Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley who are playoff experienced. Mike Conley obviously has been to a conference finals. He knows what it's all about. He's been deeper into the playoffs than I think anybody else maybe on that, on that Utah team just off the top of my head. I really love what Monty Williams has done in Phoenix. I think that was, you know, Phoenix for so long had just made some head scratching hires in, in a lot of ways, but the, the Monty Williams hire was a slam dunk. How's Devin Booker going to react in the playoffs? I think that to me is a, is a huge thing. How is DeAndre Ayton going to react in the playoffs? We know how Chris Paul is going to react. He's going to be great. But what about the rest of the team? And I think that is what gives me pause when thinking about the Phoenix as a title contender. Could I see them going to the Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I could, I could see that. But I don't see them winning the NBA championship. If the Lakers get healthy, AD stays healthy, LeBron stays healthy, they stay healthy. I mean, certainly I you know, don't bet against the Lakers. I mean, Lord knows we've, we've learned that over the years. Don't bet against LeBron James of the Lakers. But still, on the other, you got to look on the other side. And when you see Brooklyn over there, and if Brooklyn ever gets healthy, and that to me is the big question, Brooklyn, Brooklyn's got one heck of a lineup. They just haven't been healthy. Now, speaking of health, uh, when healthy, who's better, the Lakers or Clippers? Ooh, good question. Um yeah, to me, that's that, that's kind of that's kind of a 50-50 ball, really. Uh, I mean, I I like I like what Teron Lewis has done there with the Clippers. Paul George is a great two-way player. Kawhi Leonard is a great two-way player. I think the Clippers might be more balanced uh, than the Lakers. I would probably give the Clippers a I'd give the Clippers a slight edge. Does Paul George have something to prove come playoff time? I think he feels that he does. And I think probably the public perception is, and it's kind of like Chris Paul, you know, Chris Paul hasn't won an NBA championship. You know, Chris Paul hasn't gotten past the conference finals. So I think there, there is probably in, in Paul George's mind, look, I need to prove something. If for no other reason that the guy that he's running with has, has won NBA championships with a couple other teams in, in Kawhi Leonard. So uh, maybe to himself, he doesn't have to prove it, but I think he probably feels it needs to prove it to, uh, to the NBA public. So two and a half games separate uh, the top three teams in the Eastern Conference, Philly and Brooklyn, uh, basically uh, deadlocked uh, for the top spot. And then Milwaukee uh, making a run. Very impressive win for them last night uh, over Philly. Uh, is Are the Bucks maybe being forgotten a little bit when we talk about top teams in the East since it seems like uh, Philly and Brooklyn have guarded most of the attention? Yeah, I think they are being forgotten a little bit. But Milwaukee has changed its approach. Milwaukee's approach the, the last two years has been let's pile up regular season wins, get the number one seed in the East. And that hasn't worked out for them. I think that what they have done, and Mike Budenholzer has been a little bit more experimental in how he has approached this season, trying different things uh, throughout the course of the year, whether offensively or defensively, that he thinks might be best deployed during the postseason. The Bucs are really the Bucks don't care where their seeding is because they've seen that you know winning 60 games and being the top seed doesn't matter. Particularly this year, home court advantage 
just really doesn't exist. And it's not going to exist until they open the gates and everybody, everybody comes in actually road teams. And I mentioned this earlier in our, our chat that road teams are winning at a higher percentage than they ever have in league history, because you, the home court, it's like, well, yeah, it's our building and we didn't have to travel. And I think we're finding that teams, when they go out on the road, they are so locked in because for the longest time, the, the health and safety protocols, you could go to, you, you went from a plane to bus to hotel. You ate your meals in the hotel. You had room service, your team meals. You couldn't go outside. You couldn't go anywhere except to, to the arena. And I think that's why the road teams have, have fared so well this year. So uh, to get back to Milwaukee, there's no point in trying to win a bazillion games and get the number one seed because they can win anywhere. It doesn't really matter. And I think anybody can win anywhere because uh, you're not going to have the full buildings and the home court advantage really is, is not much of an advantage if it even is one this year. I think there's been a lot of good uh, coaching jobs in the NBA this season, and maybe uh, none better than what's going on in New York. Uh, Tom Thibodeau has kind of made uh, the Knicks relevant again. He has. He has. I, I talked with Mike Breen a little while ago, and I asked him about Thibs, and he said, you know, he has brought uh, a culture of accountability to this basketball team. Julius Randle's playing the best basketball of his career because Thibs has gotten through to him about what it is to be a professional basketball player emphasis on the word professional professional if you're a real professional basketball it doesn't just mean that you're getting paid to play it means that you are doing all the little things and you're putting in all the extra time and all the extra effort in order to be the best possible player that you can be and and Thibs has done that with him and then you you bring Derek Rose in who can be that 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 KG veteran who understands he's not the main man anymore but can he can he can still play um, I, I think it, it, it's a, it's been a great run by Thibs because this was a franchise that boy, year after year, you just shake your head and you know, you're like, what do what are you guys doing? But by bringing Thibs in and, and what he's been able to do, they've been fantastic. Before the season began, most people thought these two teams would be at the top of the Eastern conference, but instead they're sitting in the middle of the pack, essentially. Uh, why do you think Boston and Miami have not been as good as maybe, uh, they were forecast to be? Uh, Miami remains kind of a mystery. You're right. They, they should be better than they are. Um, you know, the talent is there. Bam Adebayo's having a fantastic year. Jimmy Butler has been very, very solid, but this is a, a Miami team that re- relies on the three point shot. And I, I think that any team that relies as heavily on the three point shot as they do, you always run the risk of maybe not being able to be as, as good as you should be. Boston's been Boston's been a mystery. Uh, their role players, I don't think, have have come on maybe in the way that that Brad Stevens would like. Um, you know I, that 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 does be a, a real mystery because Brown and Tatum are are a dynamic pair, and then Marcus Smart is so very good. Um, but yet they they just they haven't had the the juice, the moxie, the, the X factor, whatever you want to call it, to go through and win games. I mean, you know one game against the Grizzlies in Boston and they handled the Grizzlies without any issue at all. Then they come to Memphis and lose. I mean, the Grizzlies are a good team, but you know, Boston is you, you, you're thinking Boston is one of the elite teams and they go out on the road and, and, and they really struggled in Memphis. So, um, you know, sometimes teams just don't come together. I don't know if it's Brad Stevens. I don't know if it's the players. It's something there. There's an ingredient that's definitely missing from them. And they're not playing with the force and the resolution to be a really good team that you would expect. I'll leave you with a couple of uh, awards questions. So uh, mentioned uh, great coaching jobs in the league. Uh, who would get your vote for coach of the year? 
Well, as much as I, I like what Tom Thibodeau has done in New York, uh, Adam, I'm a little biased because Monty Williams is a Notre Dame guy. You know, so I got, sure. got him over in the Notre Dame. Former Blazer. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think Monty has, has done such a good job with that basketball team. But again, really, it's kind of a carryover from last year when they were 8-0 and in the bubble, and he, he had them playing good basketball. Um, Monty Williams, Tom Thibodeau, I mean, it's – it's it's neck and neck. I think the more remarkable job probably is Tom Thibodeau uh, with with a group of young players in addition to Julius Randle and and coming from really nowhere. I think everybody expected Phoenix to be good this year. I don't know that anybody expected the results in New York to come this quickly. Steph Curry says, I deserve it. Joel Embiid says, I deserve it. Uh, we've seen Nikola Jokic be cons- consistent all season long. He probably deserves serious consideration. So uh, who's going to take MVP? Well, I don't know who's going to take it. I, you know, Embiid has been fantastic, but has not been healthy. I mean, if, if you look at health and consistency of output, they'd have to be Jokic. I mean, he, ha- he has been the guy. And particularly if he can help keep Denver afloat over these final 20 games or what are we at, whatever we have left, then he then his value is incalculable because you don't have Jamal Murray and if Denver can continue to win stay at their pace in the standings then then Jokic I think is is as good as anybody and he can do so many things and impact the game in so many ways Steph Curry's having a wonderful year no question no doubt um but just the way Jokic can do so many things uh career year scoring rebounding, assisting, career high in three-point percentage. He does so many things that um, I, I, I lean a little bit toward Jokic again. Embiid, no slight against him, but he's not been healthy as much as, as, as you would need for somebody really to be a true MVP, in my opinion. Well, the NBA is a better league, in my opinion, when uh, teams like the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers are relevant, having good seasons, such is the case, and they get to, uh, uh, get to face off against each other three times over the next week. And Pete Pranica will be at the call on uh, Grizzlies television for all of those games. Now, the oddity to me, though, is that you said if we get to the uh, games uh, in the playing situation, you would not be calling those games, but you would go back to calling games if the Grizzlies make the first round of the playoffs, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah, the playing games. Yeah, the playing games would be exclusive to, I, I believe, ESPN. I'm not sure if it's ESPN or TNT, but they would be national exclusives. And then uh, once you start in the first round of the playoffs, TV contracts do allow local telecasters to do any game in the first round that is not on ABC. Now, uh, we will we have the pleasure, depending on the Grizzlies playoff situation, of seeing you on TNT, though, for a playoff game, potentially? Uh, no, they've already made their decisions. And if you're going to be involved... Who do that was an answer I wanted. <laughs> no, no, I know, I know. It's that that honestly has been really one of the highlights. I mean, I, I love doing team games, obviously, but a couple of years ago, doing two postseasons for NBA TV with my good friend Greg Anthony and, and yeah. Steve Smith, two former Blazers. Um, that that was a real kick, but they do not hire anybody who is in playoff contention. So uh, I had to sit out last year. I had to sit out this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I hate that. I hate that. But that was playoff contention. That's weird. There's a lot of teams now with the playing situation that are in playoff contention. Yeah, so exactly. So yeah, so a lot of possibilities. Yeah, it eliminates it eliminates a lot of guys. But that was uh, that was great. I, I I'll I'll leave you with this because you know you know Mike Callahan, the retired NBA referee. Sure. 
Uh, a couple of years ago, I was doing my first playoff game for NBA TV. So national TV I'm doing in Toronto with Steve Smith and Mike Callahan is the crew chief. And he walks over to the scorer's table and he says, I just want to tell you a bunch of us referees. We're so happy to hear you get this assignment for NBA TV. Cause we think you're really good and, and you deserve wow. it. And when, when you get the vote of confidence of the referees, I think that, I think that's always a positive thing. Well, you know, our, our, our old friend, Mike Rice used to get those kind of comments all the time from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, that wasn't him. I'm sorry. That wasn't him. No, that definitely, that definitely was Mike Rice. Uh, he, he had discussions with officials. I'm not sure that was the subject of, of a conversation, <laughs> no. but uh, uh, my friend, it was great uh, having some uh, opportunity to spend some time with you. Please say hi to uh, uh, our other mutual friends, Scott Zachary and, uh, and Eric Hasseltine, uh, who do great work on, on your broadcast crew as well. And uh, thank you for the visit today. Maybe we'll check in with you later on in the playoffs. Uh, who knows, maybe a Blazers-Grizzlies conference final. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be nice. No, I appreciate the time. Great to reconnect, Wheels. Pete Pratica, the longtime voice of the Grizzlies, with us here on this edition of the Believe in Blazers podcast. That'll do it for this week. Monday, when we join you next, we'll recap the two games between the Blazers and Grizzlies and also get you started on another week as we inch closer to the playoffs. Have a great weekend. I'm Brian Wheeler. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.